Morning, everybody. As Jim has said, my name's Paul, and uh, I'm one of the elders here at Jubilee Church. It's my pleasure and privilege to uh, get to preach this morning and to introduce our new series, which we're calling Jesus, the Glory of God Revealed. So as Agents Gordon were just asking the question, what is glory? What comes into your mind when you think of the word glory? Is it just something kind of shiny? Is glory just like the shininess of God? Uh, well, I, I looked up some definitions which I found helpful earlier in the week to understand what it is. So here are some definitions. Glory is something of great beauty, something special or extremely beautiful that gives great pleasure. Or another one, glory is something which deserves admiration or honour, or more Christian specifically, it is the visible manifestation of God's greatness. So from the beginning, in the opening chapters of the Bible, the plan was always for the glory of God to dwell with people. We read in the opening chapters of Genesis that the visible manifestation of God's greatness walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day. And this nearness and proximity to the glory of God was sadly lost in Genesis chapter 3, but soon after was restored to the temple, and, or the, before that, the tabernacle, which became the temple. And so when each of those structures were finished, we read in Exodus chapter 40 and 1 Kings chapter 8, that the glory of the Lord filled those places, those structures, the tabernacle and the temple. So God's glory is back in the midst of his people, but actually in a very diminished way. The plan was for God to walk with humanity out of the garden to the rest of the world and fill the world with his glory, whereas now the glory of God is, is, is shut up in a small, inaccessible room in a tent, which later becomes a temple. But this was not the plan. This separation from his glory and from humanity and his glory was not in the heart of God. And so God gave some promises through his prophets to his people. And so we read in Isaiah chapter 11 and Habakkuk chapter 2, basically the same verse, which says, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. But the people of Israel don't obey God. They don't, uh, they don't honour the glory of the Lord in their midst. And so to cut a very long story short, they are eventually taken into exile. And it is when they're in exile that we meet the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel is sitting on the banks of a river in Babylon and he sees a vision of the glory of the Lord leaving the temple. This is a, a devastating moment for the people of God. They are away from the promised land in exile and now the glory of God has left the temple. It was the glory of God in their midst that made them the people of God. It was the glory of God in their midst that set them apart as a nation from every other nation and now it's gone. But perhaps not for long. Because later in Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 43, he has another vision where he sees the glory of God returning to a new, rebuilt, now huge temple. And I think when the people of Israel heard that, they must have thought, oh, cool, we just, we need to get back there. God has not completely abandoned us. His glory is going to return. We just need to get back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. 
And that's exactly what happens. They, they return from exile, they rebuild the temple, but nothing happens. The glory of God does not return. It doesn't come, it doesn't fill this temple like it had done the tabernacle and the first temple. So the people of God are left with this prophetic promise that one day the glory of God will return to the temple. And even better than that, one day the glory of God will go from the temple to fill the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. But when would it happen? And what would it be like? What would they imagine it would be like? Well, remember that the nation of Israel had seen the glory of the Lord over and over again. Think of the Exodus story or the tabernacle and the temple when they got filled. The glory of God, it looked like a cloud and fire and smoke. Think of Mount Sinai in that story, which is like a mountain on fire. Big, awesome thing. Or some of their prophets had seen God. They'd seen visions of God, like Isaiah and Ezekiel, seated on his throne in all his glory. And what did they see? Kind of unapproachable light. God in his infinite holiness. Whenever the people saw the glory of God, there were moments where the people would stop and stand in awe or fall down in humility as they saw the true purity and character of God. His glory was overwhelming. What do we think of? What do you think of? What comes to your mind when someone says the glory of God? It might be something like this, some of these Old Testament passages that speak of his glory. It might be something to do with his splendor, his majesty, his, him in unapproachable light, his immensity, something overwhelming. You might think of Hebrews, uh, sorry, not Hebrews, Psalms uh, chapter 19 verse one, which says the heavens declare the glory of God. In that case, whatever the glory of God is, it must be vast, something unimaginable and awesome. But when we think of the glory of God in this way, not wrongly because the Bible clearly presents it like this, but when we think of it this way, I think sometimes it can make God feel a bit distant, a bit unknowable, unapproachable. He is incomprehensible, scary even. However, Hebrews chapter one, verse three, as Agents Gordon helpfully just read with us, says that it, of Jesus, that Jesus is the radiance, the shining out of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Similarly, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 says, for God who said, let there be light in the darkness has made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. What do these verses mean? Well, these verses tell us that the glory of God is no longer simply a, a mysterious concept, it is a person. The glory of God has been shown to us in a way that we can understand. The vast became finite. The unimaginable became recognizable. The unknowable has been made known. The unapproachable became flesh and dwelt among us. See, in Jesus, we see the glory of God, but it is a surprising glory. Jesus was the unexpected answer to these prophetic promises given to the nation of Israel. See, Jesus was the glory of God returning to the temple as Ezekiel saw. It is the knowledge of Jesus that will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. 
in Jesus we see the glory of God revealed. And we find, I think, that perhaps the glory of God is not what we would imagine it to be, not what we would imagine it to look like. Maybe that even God himself is not who we would think him to be. I think when we think of glory, we can think of someone powerful, maybe someone kind of self-important. But when God shows us his glory in Jesus, he takes us off guard with humility and self-sacrifice. This is what the glory of God truly looks like. And so that's what we're going to look at in this series over the summer. We're going to look at the surprising revelation of the glory of God. As the Apostle Paul says, the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at the glory of God in the incarnation, God becoming man. We're going to look at the glory of God in humility, the glory of God in the cross, the glory of God in the ascension, the glory of God will return, and finally the glory of God made known. Jesus, the glory of God revealed. If we think back to the definitions of glory that I started us with a few moments ago and just consider for a moment whether actually Jesus is the best definition for glory there could ever possibly be. So the definitions were this, something of great beauty, something special or extremely beautiful that gives great pleasure. That's Jesus. Something which deserves admiration or honour. Yes the visible manifestation of God's greatness. Absolutely, but in a very surprising way. We're praying for times in this, in this series of us stopping and marveling, standing in awe, falling down in humility when we see the surprising glory and character of God revealed perfectly in Jesus. So following on from our last series, prioritizing his presence, which was deliberately quite a practical series, looking at our own lives, considering our own lives and how we can cultivate lifestyles where we prioritize the presence of God. Now, over the summer, we want to unashamedly glory in Jesus for seven weeks and remind ourselves whose presence it is we're seeking to prioritize. As we hopefully in the coming weeks and months, get to actually gather back together fully and properly in you know, this room. We've got to remember, you know, we're not coming back to a building, obviously. That's not why we're gathering back. We're not gathering back to a plan or to a location or to a roadmap or even simply to each other, wonderful as it will be to all be together and be able to sing together. But we're coming back to Jesus. We gather to Jesus the author of life and the author of our salvation, the perfecter and the goal of our faith, the pearl of great price, our very great reward, our hope, our joy, our sustainer, our provider, our healer, our redeemer, our good shepherd, our great high priest, our elder brother, our Lord, the Lord, Jesus Christ. That's who we're coming back together for, who we're coming back together to. We are his people because of him, because he is in our midst. That's what makes us the people of God, no less than the glory of God made Israel the people of God. It is Jesus' presence in our midst that makes us the people of God. And so we want to gather to him. He is our everything. And so the aim of this series is simply to unashamedly glory and boast in Christ 
week after week. And I hope and pray it is incredibly impactful and enjoyable as we see Jesus again for who he really is. So to finish, I just want to recommend two books to you to go along with this series, which will really help just help you see Jesus if you want to know Jesus. Okay, the first one is this. I recommended this a few weeks ago when I was hosting. It's good enough that I want to recommend it again now. It's called Gentle and Lowly by a guy called Dane Ortland, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. I wonder if there are any of those in this room, any of those watching online, there's one of those holding this book. Okay, this book is really wonderful because it just presents the character of Jesus as it is shown to us in the Bible. In all his grace and generosity and mercy and tenderness and compassion, all of the things that we kind of assume in our lives are the things that would repel him from us, actually are the very things that draw him close to us in his compassion and his grace. This, honestly, I think I'm gonna try and read this book about every six months as a bit of a reset moment, as a, to help renew my mind to understand who Jesus is because we can get so caught up in feeling bad about ourselves and then think we need to be distant it's nonsense that's not Jesus okay this book really does present Jesus so wonderfully and so I want to recommend that book to you Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. The other book I want to recommend is this one. It's called Christ Our Life by Michael Reeves. It's a short book. It's an easy read. I read this again in preparation for this series. And essentially what this series is about, this book is about, it is about who Jesus is, the glory of God revealed in Jesus and how he is our everything, our very life, Christ Our Life by Michael Reeves. Let me recommend these two books to you very highly.